Yep. Welcome to another 11 Mile Sessions live. We've got lots of great stuff for you coming up. In about an hour, we're going to have Memphis Hawk doing a live band performance for you. Uh, one man band, that is. Anyway, uh, we got an interview coming up in just a few minutes with the gentleman named Greg Martin from the Kentucky Headhunters. But in the meantime, to whet your appetite, we're going to start the show off with a video of theirs called Ragtop.
have to die. All right, this is 11 Mile Sessions Live, and that video was by the Kentucky Headhunters. That's a track called Ragtop. And speaking of, on the phone with me right now, I have Mr. Greg Martin. How you doing, sir? Doing great, Scott. How are you? Not too bad. So, <laughs> where do we start? You've got all kinds of things that we can talk about. Um, Kentucky Headhunters, they've been around for like well over 30 years, haven't they? Yes, the band was uh, initially formed in 1986, and it's actually the four guys that are, you know, the the, uh, the, the quartet that's doing it now, me, Fred, Richard, and Doug Phelps. We started the band, of course, we had it Ricky Phelps, uh, a little later on, around 86, but uh, we kind of put it back together like it is now. And uh, now our roots go back to 1968 with Richard Fred and I. So it's, wow. it's kind of crazy. We started this little band back then. You know, we had, we had a group called The Truce back in 1968. But like I say, we went through a series of changes and a series of different things and uh, starts and false starts and stops and we finally put this together in 1986 and we've been going pretty good ever since then. So I'm looking at the email that uh, the gentleman sent me. You started out as Itchy Brother. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the roots of this whole thing started in 1968, uh, and it was all because of a 4-H talent show in Edmonton, Kentucky, a little old town in South Central Kentucky in Midcalf County. Um, I, I'm originally from Louisville, and I had moved to Midcalf County in 1966. And um, two years later, I met Richard through this 4-H talent show, Richard Young, the rhythm guitarist and the headhunters. Um, my cousin came on the bus one day. It was like October 1968, could have been early November. And uh, he said, hey, uh, we're doing a 4-H talent show. And I had recently had just been smitten by the guitar that summer and fall and just really fell in love with playing and mm -hmm. hadn't ever really played anybody at that point. But Larry said, uh, there's a, a new student at Edmonton who's transferred from North Midcalf to Edmonton Elementary. Richard was in the eighth grade. And his dad was actually doing some student teaching there. Or not student teaching. He's already teaching at North Metcalf, but he had to get some more credits for some reason. So Richard had transferred with him. And uh, after Larry mentioned that, you know, for its talent show, he said, uh, would you like to get together with Richard and let's talk about this. I met Richard at the Edmonton Elementary cafeteria one day in the early November of 68. We sat down with our guitars, and we jammed on Born to be Wild, <laughs> yeah. Hey Jude, <laughs> yeah. Revolution. All the good stuff back possibly, then. Yes, yeah, Sunshine of Your Love. And we did this talent show, and, and uh, I can't remember the name of the group now. 
it was a fictitious group name. And then after it was over, Richard said, hey, uh, me and my brother Fred and, and my cousin Anthony have a band you know, called The Truth, and would you like to come out and jam with us? They were a trio. Mm-hmm. So I ventured down to their house at the end of November, and them guys had a groove, and they had a little sound already together, being they were a family. So that was that was the start of it, and uh, so the truce went on, and we actually changed the name a few times. It went from the truce to uh, aftermath, Mandrake Velvet, and then in 1974, that's where Itchy Brother, uh, <laughs> the name came. So we went through a series of names. We even now as aftermath, we even played on. A Nashville television show around 1970-71, a show called Young Country. We won some contest, and we got to go down and play live on TV, which mm. we thought, hey, we've made it. You know, we went from the skating rink to to uh, live TV in Nashville. <laughs> but uh, Itchy Brother, uh, I had, when I graduated in 1972 from Metcalf County High School, my parents decided they wanted to move back to Louisville, mm-hmm. and initially I want to go. I was going to be brave, and I was going to stay in Midcap County, and I was going to play music. Mm-hmm. But then I got scared, and I ended up following them back up to Louisville, and so uh, I had to quit playing with Richard and Fred for a little bit. But in the fall of 73, Richard called me and said, hey, uh, our grandmother is uh, wanting to put some money up for us to go in the studio and cut a 45 record. <laughs> and I had a song written called Shotgun Effie, which was about his grandmother. And Richard had a song called Rock and Roller. So we got together on their front porch in the fall of 1973, and we kind of knocked out the arrangements, finished writing the songs. And then we went to the studio around November of 73. In 1974, we released a little independent record here in South Central Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And it was, like I say, Shot Effie and Rock and Roller. And we didn't have a name. So we come up with the name Itchy Brother, which was named after a cartoon character from the series called King Leonardo and Friends, which was on TV every Saturday. It was King Leonardo and Odie Colony. The, uh, King Leonardo, he, he presided over the kingdom of Bongo Congo, and Biggie Rat and Itchy Brother were the uh, uh, the two trying to take over the kingdom all the time. They were trying to overthrow uh, King Leonardo. Itchy Brother was King Leonardo's evil brother, is what it was. <laughs> uh-huh. so, okay. So the, so the Itchy Brother moniker happened around 1974, you know. Well, I have to admit, I mean, it works for a, a cartoon character, but for a band, I don't know. I don't know if I, I couldn't see a band going on for greatness with a, a name like Itchy Brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like that's something you avoid, right? You know, you, you got to like, you know, wash yourself off afterwards or something. Well, you know, we, we, we used to play at the flea market, and so when, they would talk about us on the radio. It'd be like itchy brother at the flea market. Think about that. <laughs> That's perfect. And, 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 and yeah, it, it was perfect. And we've come to find out later, there was another band out West 
I'm not sure where they were from. They had the same name, and we didn't know that at the time. Now, we came really close to um, signing a record deal with Swan Song Records, which was Zeppelin's label in really? 19... Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we came really close because our manager worked for Swan Song, hmm. and we came close, but unfortunately, Disco reared its head, and John Bonham passed away. So things were in disarray after that with mm-hmm. Swan Song. So our rock and roll aspirations had to go out the window for a little bit, you know. Wow. But you're right. It's your brother. Strange name. And, of course, people would get it wrong from time to time and call oh. it different stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. We, they used to call us Scratchy Sister, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, you t- you taking me down memory lane, actually. I believe my father... <clears throat> he's been gone a long time, but uh, I believe he was on that same same show you're talking about in Nashville. Um, he actually performed live, and then same thing. His mom helped him uh, get the money up to record a 7-inch. He did, actually did a cover version of Rock and Robin. That was back in the 70s as oh, well. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, Bob, uh, Bob, was that the guy that wrote that song, I think, maybe? Um, yeah, we so he so he was on Young Country as well. Yes, yes. In fact, um, that was one of the things that would get like, um, shall we say, syndicated, rebroadcast. There was one time when I went down there when I was a child, and we actually watched him play. You know, it was recorded, and it was like from three or four years ago. But we actually got to see him on live TV. It was wonderful. Be, that's great, man. That's great. Yeah. I know there's film. Uh, We've heard this film of us on the TV show. We did Crossroads by Cream, and uh, Fred did a drum solo. And, we, you know, Fred was just about, he was just about 10 years old at the time. He was he was just a kid, and Anthony was a little bit younger than that. And um, I was probably a junior in high school. Richard was a sophomore, so we were just kids doing that. Wow. It was amazing experience you know it was it was just uh i guess it was uh preparation for what was to come later you know oh i can imagine what actually did get you started what was the do you remember the first time you actually heard like you know music and said wow i want to do that well my, my earliest recollections of music was back in the 50s living in louisville and my brother had records by Elvis Presley, the Everly Brothers, mm-hmm. Little Richard, and other stuff like that. And plus, we had a lot of radio around the house. There was a country station out of Louisville, WTMT. And I remember hearing that uh, station when I'd be in my dad's Plymouth, taking trips somewhere around town or going to Bitcap County or whatever. So that was the earliest recollections of music. And, you know, that kind of morphed into when 1964 hit, February 1964, the Beatles sprang on Ed Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And that pretty much solidified, you know, what I loved. You know, there's a lot of and, people that uh, say that, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was, it was uh, really overwhelming when I first saw them because I, we had never seen anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but it, it it just transformed everything. I mean, we went back to school the next day. People were combing their hair down, and, and whether they had 
just had bangs, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, a week or two, the beetle boots, and then everybody's growing their hair out. And that just started a whole different revolution. You know, next thing you know, we've got the Rolling Stones, we've got Herman's Hermits, we got the Dave Clark Five, Freddie and the Dreamers, the Searchers, all these great bands from England. And, um, of course, we started having, you know, bands from, from America started following suit as well. Oh, yeah. But that made a big, that made a really big impact on me. And then 1966, November of 1966, I saw the Love and Spoonful at Memorial Auditorium in Louisville. Mm. And that really made a big impact on me as well. Um, That's when you really said, yeah, I'm going to do this. (laughs) That was was a big game changer. And then by 1968, there was one other thing that happened. I saw this band play, and it was almost like a, it was like a, a, an experience I've never felt before. It was just like, Something said, hey, this is what you're going to be doing the rest of your life. And then about two weeks later, I met Richard and Fred. So there you go. There you go. And the rest is history, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And as you know, from 65 to early 70s was such a fertile time for music. Uh, Got the birds, the Beatles, just all this great stuff. Then Hendrix and Cream and all that. Well, you know, you've kind of lean more towards, you know, Southern rock and country, but I haven't heard you mention any of the ones from back then yet so far, uh, whether it's Allman Brothers, Leonard Skinner, you know, Molly Hatchet, mm-hmm. any of those. I'm sure they were an influence as well, right? Absolutely. Well, the Allman Brothers, I, I can't speak for the rest of the guys, but the Allman Brothers was a big influence on me. Um, when I was a senior... Richard and Fred had a copy of Live at the Fillmore. Oh yeah. And you know how it you know how kids are, you know, we, we, we loan each other albums. And they loaned me that album, they loaned me that and Humble Pie Live at the Fillmore. But I remember putting on Live at the Fillmore by the Almond Brothers and Statesboro Blues came on and that slide guitar just just overwhelmed me. It was just amazing to hear Dwayne Allman play like that. You know, um, I, you know, the funny thing, Scott, we were more influenced by, it's weird, uh, you know, we had so many influences, but, you know, we, we, we collectively, we all love the Beatles and the Stones. And then when, you know, we love Jimi Hendrix and Cream mm-hmm. and, uh, the Southern rock thing really happened as, as well the way we know, even though the, the Almond Brothers were happening when I was a senior, they were actually happening before that. Uh, they released Idle Wild South and their initial album. But, you know, I, really the, the Southern rock thing as we knew it was around 1974 uh, was when they finally put a, a title on it, so to speak. Yeah. And then Skinner's on the scene around 73, 74. And I was already living in Louisville at that time, not playing with Richard and Fred. Uh, when we came back together in 1977 to put Itchy Brother together, uh, that happened, you know, where I came back to play with them again, we were really more into 
it, it was kind of like a hillbilly version of Led Zeppelin meets Montrose <laughs> and Johnny Wimp. We really didn't sound that Southern back then. The Southern rock thing kind of came in later, maybe because of the country element coming into the rock, in which that's what Southern rock is. It's a mm -hmm. big dose of country music, you know. Yeah. Well, I remember, um, I think it was one of the first good-sized tours you did. They had uh, the Detroit hoedown back in the late 80s. And that was at Hart Plaza in downtown Detroit. I don't know if you remember that, but um, I remember sure you, you were one of the few bands that I really wanted to see. I I like country to a certain extent. My dad was really huge on country. I mean, I like some of the more like outlaw stuff. I always loved Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings and things like that. Yeah. But um, I always wanted some oomph in my country. And you know, I remember uh, Kentucky Headhunters. I was like, wow, that's a cool name. Again, going back to like Itchy Brother, it's like, no, that really grabbed my ears and my eyes. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, you know, it's funny because we really, I, to my ears, we didn't sound, because I've got demos and I've also got uh, some live recordings and rehearsal recordings. Mm -hmm. And the Southern element wasn't, there as much as it was later yeah. and I, I don't know and I think it's because even though we grew up around country music you couldn't get away from it mm -hmm. I grew up hearing it on the radio you know in, at the house because my parents loved country music they listened to WTMT which was the big country station WINN yeah. and, um, and my dad loved Ernest Tubbs the Texas Troubadours mm -hmm. And that, and so I mean, that stuff was seeping into my DNA, whether I wanted it to or not. But mm -hmm. I wanted to be a rock and roller, and and Itchy Brother wanted to rock out. Yeah. And but you know, we we couldn't help but live in this part of the country, not hear bluegrass mm -hmm. and country music. So it seeped in. And then when we put the Headhunters together with the Phelps's influences, they had the country twang. And that, I think that's what brought this rock element out. And of course, a lot of people have compared us to, you know, like Skinner and stuff like that. And oddly enough, I love Skinner. I've actually played with Skinner for three weeks, uh, filled in for Ed King, oh, okay. you know, back in 92. Mm -hmm. And was offered a gig later on with them, but I, I turned it down because I had my own band, mm -hmm. you know, the Headhunters. But, uh, you know, it, our influences were uh, really just all over the place. Everything from Wilson Pickett to B.B. King mm -hmm. to Cream <laughs> Hendrix. And I must say that, you know, as I've gotten older, I love Merle Haggard. I love George Jones, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I the outlaws too that you were talking about. So we're we're a burgoo. We're we're a strange mix of things. You know, it really is. Yeah, it's one of the things I like about uh, bands like yours. I really like the variety. I really like different influences, and it's a shame that there's not a lot more bands like that. Everybody's just so, you know, pigeonholed into an exact category. You know, oh, we got to sound like this. You know, because we're rock, we got to sound like that. You know, because that's what's hip right now in two thousand whatever. You know, yeah. And um, they seem to miss out on a lot of things. You know, by doing that. But I think that's one of the things. Well, that, go ahead. Oh, well, it's the corporate thing. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, when FM Underground 
kid in the late 60s, early 70s, these stations would mix all these genres. They might play Miles Davis next to Jimi Hendrix, and every now and then you might hear a Johnny Cash song thrown in there. And and growing up in Louisville, growing up in Louisville, Kentucky, on AM radio, WKLO and WAKY, the two rock stations on AM, they mixed things up like crazy. It was almost freeform. Mm-hmm. It was a rock station. But you'd hear Johnny Cash right next to Hendrix, and you might hear Freddie Hart, you know. Oh, yeah. It, but... it was crazy. So, yeah. We had one called uh, CKLW, and it's um, gone, unfortunately, but yeah. it was out of Canada. It was the same exact thing. I mean, you literally could hear sure. Anne Murray, and then you could hear Black Sabbath right afterwards. You know, that kind of thing. It was just like whatever was oh, like popular at the moment. Hey. Oh, that's a great station you're talking about there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, yeah. So that's, that was a powerhouse, man. That's, yep. Yeah, that's where I got my uh, interest in variety. It just didn't matter what it was. Beach Boys, then Deep Purple. Who cares? As long as it's good. Absolutely, man. You know, and I love the Beach Boys. I love Pet Sounds. That's one of my favorite all-time albums. But uh CK, CKLW, yeah, that's a legendary station. Matter of fact, some of the, seemed like one of the DJs, maybe two of the DJs from the Louisville market ended up, there was a guy by the name of Dude Walker. Mm-hmm. I think he ended up up there in the 70s. And there was a group from Louisville called Munch, Munch? who ended up there. And they, <laughs> Yeah, have you heard that name? Uh, it sounds kind of familiar, but that's that's a long time ago, though. <laughs> That would, have been, that would have been around 1976, and they toured with the Osmond Brothers. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah, that, way back, you know. But, yeah, man, AM and radio was a different animal back then. They, you know, What we were talking about is everybody putting everything in a neat little compartment, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's gotten worse, you know, as you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we could go on all day about that, but we're not. <laughs> So, I wanted to switch gears a bit, uh, give you just a couple moments to talk about, uh, you're into guitars, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm scouring the internet every day looking at guitars. I don't collect the old vintage guitars like I used to because the prices are crazy out there. I've got a few of those starting back in the 80s. Mm Mm-hmm when you could get them at a, at a fair price. But yeah, I've, I've got, I've got, I've got, yeah, I'm not like Joe Bonamassa. He's got a batch, but I, I've got about 40, about 40 guitars. That's not No, no. I'm always trading around quite a bit. Do you uh, ever do like custom made ones? Like you have people make one specifically for you or? Um, I have a friend by the name of Ken Musnug who was one of our mentors. He was in a local band called Us Incorporated back in the 60s. Matter of fact, he taught Richard Young how to play guitar mm-hmm. and actually was instrumental in teaching Richard about the music business, how to run a band, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what he does now is build guitars. And uh, he, he actually bestowed a really nice six-string guitar on me back around uh, – January, it just, and, I, and I'll use it to play slide on. So, yeah, to answer your question, there's been a couple of people build guitars for me. Uh, most generally, I'm a Gibson guy. I play Les Pauls. Mm-hmm. I play 335. 
Speaking um, of uh, high dollar stress. amounts. <laughs> yeah, they, they can be. Yeah, well, of course they are. They're, they're not cheap. I've, uh, I do have an original 1958 Sunburst Les Paul with PAF pickups, which is a, a very collectible guitar. It was uh, given to me by Hank Williams Jr. back in the early 90s, wow. and that's my prize. Mm-hmm. Then I've got old 335s. I've got a 335 that was used at Muscle Shows on Mac Davis Records, Osmond Brother Records, Donnie Marie Records, uh, a lot of different sessions. It belonged to Travis Womack. And I've got a 1962 ES-335 Gibson. I've got one of Ed King's... Um, uh, 1964 ES-345. Hmm. I've got a 1957 Strat, mm-hmm. and I've got some old Martins. I've got a, an old bass guitar, an old precision bass. Now, my uh, 58 Les Paul originally belonged to Ed King as well, and he sold it at Gruen Guitars, and Hank Williams Jr. bought it, and then he gave it to me in 1991. Wow. So I've had it years. Yeah. Do you have any, like, novelty ones at all, or? Novelty guitars. um, Well, what I mean is, I mean, it's still a a real guitar, a good guitar. I mean, people like, uh, you know, Michael Anthony of Van Halen, he's got a bass guitar that looks exactly like a Jack Daniels model. Or Rick Nielsen of Cheap Trick actually has a guitar that actually looks like a standing figure of him, like a cartoon, that kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I'm... No, I don't have anything like that. I've got one Melody Maker, a Gibson Melody Maker that a fella gave me, and he found it. It was trashed. Hmm. Will Kelly, he's in North Carolina somewhere, and he's a repairman, and he uh, changed the whole guitar around, and it's got like, um, it's got the faces of Bill Monroe. It's got uh, John Brim. Sylvester Weaver, mm-hmm. and it's also got Travis on it, their faces on it, and it's got the state of Kentucky on it, it's got uh, the Kentucky header logo. So that would be the closest thing I have, but I've also got what they call a cigar box guitar that's made out of a cigar box that you could actually play slide on. So that, yeah. that would be kind of near what you're a little bit, yeah. We actually have a gentleman uh, here in Michigan. His name's Gary Reichel. He makes a bunch of those. He uh, he takes cigar boxes and he makes guitars out of them. Yeah, he he's got a whole line of them. They're very popular now. Mm-hmm. They're very popular. Um, this gentleman made me one. I took it out and used it for a while, but I've got so many guitars. I, <laughs> you know, I yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't have as many as some people out there. Somebody might laugh at 40 guitars, but mm-hmm. uh, matter of fact, I'm looking at the case that cigar box guitars in, but uh, I change them out every so often. I get bored, you know. I, I take, uh, right now, I take a Les Paul out on the road, I take a Telecaster, mm-hmm. and I might take a Stratocaster too. So, yeah. you know, just mix it up. All right, Greg. Well, we're kind of running out of time. I'm I'm really enjoying myself. Um, I would li- actually like to do this again. I'd like to think of this as like maybe part one. Anytime. All right. Anytime. Let's do it again. All right. You know, we love Detroit. Mm-hmm. Detroit is uh, D- Detroit is uh, one of the big homes of rock and roll, and mm-hmm. we love the history uh, about Detroit, and of course the uh, 
the hoedown. I played there back in the 80s with Ronnie McDowell, and then I played it with the Headhunters. So mm-hmm. uh, great memories from that area. Just uh, everybody uh, check us out, KentuckyHeadhunters.com or KentuckyHeadhunters.net. And just real briefly, uh, we can uh, mention you have a, a new one out, correct? That's a fact, Jack? That's fact, Jack. Yep. Yeah. It was released back in October of last year, 12 new songs. And uh, there is one cover by, written by Rick Derringer called Cheap Tequila. Then we actually revived Shotgun Ampy from the old Itchy Brother days and brought it forward and and it's on the new album and then it's it's a very diverse eclectic album for the headhunters mm-hmm. it's the headhunters growing up a little bit and i also do a radio show i've done radio for about 22 years i have a blues show every monday night on wdns in bowling green kentucky called the lowdown hoedown uh-huh. it streams live mm-hmm. uh, it's on terrestrial radio and South Central Kentucky on 93.3 FM WDNS and streams at WDNSFM.com. And I've had a lot of different guests on, John Sebastian from The Love and Spoonful, Mm -hmm. uh, Peter Frampton, Evans from ZZ Top, uh, Vince Gill. um, There's a bunch of folks been on. But it's really a blues show, but we take liberties with the genre. And we play some Southern rock, some blues rock, R&B, blues. Um, whatever feels good at the time. All right. So once again, we've been talking with Greg Martin from the Kentucky Headhunters. And, you know, I think it's kind of funny that, um, well, not funny, haha, but funny, ironic. I planned on doing a couple of uh, songs after I get off the phone with you. One of them is the title track. That's a fact, Jack. But I also planned on uh, playing Shotgun Effie because I really like that one. I didn't know the history. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I wrote that. I wrote the lyrics and the basic structure in the summer of 1973. I, I lived in Memphis, Indiana. I had a little small band up there that didn't last but maybe like three or four months. And I wrote that song, the basis of it. And then when we decided to record it with Itchy Brother, or get back together those guys we uh, reworked it a little bit and then you know we just never played it because i moved you know i'm living in louisville mm-hmm. and when we got back together in 77 after it was recorded the first time uh we just we had, we had moved on but when it came up they wanted me to sing cheap tequila and i didn't feel it and i said let's try shotgun Epi. and as soon as fred counted off it was back to 1973 again. <laughs> That's nice. All right. Well, thanks yes, again, sir. Greg. I really appreciate you taking time out to have a conversation with me. I really enjoyed it. And uh, once again, uh, that's a fact, Jack. That's the new one from the Kentucky Headhunters. And I'm sure you can get that on all the different platforms, wherever you want to go. And uh, we're going to finish off after this interview with uh, the title track and Shotgun Effie. All right. Thanks again, Greg. You take care. Thank you.
you don't believe in vampires, turn up the radio somewhere in this... Oh, my God, how did that sneak in there? It's not Halloween yet. <laughs> anyway, that was Shotgun Effie, and before that, that's a fact, Jack, the title track from the latest release from the Kentucky Headhunters. And we had the pleasure of interviewing Greg Martin a few minutes ago. If you missed it, well, you know where to come back here and check it out. It'll be a podcast after I'm done. All right. We got a few more minutes to go coming up at uh, the top of the hour. Well, somewhere around there, we have Memphis Hawk doing a live performance with us. So right now, I want to switch over to a video from Chosen by Fate, and we're going to hear a track called Clifford.
All right. That is Bad Hearse with their latest video, Brand Spankin' New. That is a track called Bat Bang. Before that, we heard Astaroth with Ceremonia Tenebrae. A little dark ambience there for you if you enjoy it. And we started off with Chosen by Fate with a lyric video called Clifford. And right now, as promised, in the studio, we have Memphis Hawk. How you doing, sir? Good afternoon, Scott. I'm doing well. How are you? Ah, hanging in there, hanging in there. I just wanted to let the audience know that this is uh, another son of mine from a mother that didn't <laughs> come forward. So just just to make that clear, you whatever, know. Whatever Scott just said. <laughs> All right, you ready to play something for us? Sure, sure. What are you going to start out with? Uh, I'm going to start with the uh, the lead track from my first album. It's called Horizon.
All right, Memphis Hawk with the track Horizon. So, first album, huh? How long ago was that? So that one came out in uh, 2019. So it was called um, In the Shadows of Prophets and Fools. Okay. And you have, I believe, three out now. Yeah, right? uh, third album came out last year. And so, yeah, I've got uh, three albums so far. Wow. So you're very, very productive, rather. Uh, one per year? Uh, it's kind of, it came out to be that way. Um, right now I'm recording the fourth album. I'm planning on it being out this year, so I'm keeping my streak alive. So, <laughs> Wow. We have to get you together with some of these other artists that are out there nowadays, you know? You know, eight years between records. Yeah, that right, kind of thing. right. <laughs> well, you know, some of them earn it by being around for 15 or 20 years and they can slow down for a while. But I, I don't know. I just, I, I, um, I think, you know, it's hard not to write songs for me, mm. for a lot of people. I mean, you just, you, you can't stop. You know, mm -hmm. if you try to stop, it, it doesn't work out well. It's you're kind of holding in. It's like a shaking up a bottle of, you know, carbonated beverage or something. It's gonna blow up eventually. So you got to keep writing. Yeah, I'm sure the pandemic made a difference too. Huh? You know, I, I, I thought. I recorded the most recent album at the very beginning of that in about six weeks. Mm -hmm. But really, I didn't. That it didn't happen for me. I, I wasn't inspired by sitting around. You know, I, <laughs> okay. I actually, I didn't. You know, it, it didn't do anything. I don't think it didn't change anything for me. If so I, your pace remained the same, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I think it did. I slowed down a little bit. The first three albums really felt like they were part of the same story. Story same writing process mm -hmm. and so it kind of felt like the first second and third was like you know one you know one volume yeah i guess and so this this fourth one i did take some time just to think it out differently to write it differently to work on it differently just i'm, I'm trying to change everything up just to keep myself interested and to keep myself creative i think Mm -hmm. I work better when I'm put in a box, I think. <laughs> you know, I, I like to... I like or to a cage. Or a cage, or, you know, <laughs> uh, I like to have those restrictions placed on me, because mm -hmm. I think it really pushes pushes me, anyway, to be more creative and not to fall back on um, old formulas. Oh, okay. That's nice. Yeah. I'm really digging that guitar, huh? Oh, thank you. This is a Takamania. I've had it for a while now. Yeah, um, I used to play Ovations, but I know that was one similar that I really liked as well. Mm -hmm. They have a really nice sound, and you got your own custom-made little name <laughs> on there. Well, yeah, this is my my way of uh, of advertising. Ah, okay. <laughs> because that you know, I, I, I for a long time I would run into people asking me and asking me no so i figured i just put something on there so i can see it. what's your name <laughs> what's your name man here. so here just read the guitar <laughs> <laughs> all right let's do another one all right uh, this will be uh, this will be i think i'll do it from the same album uh this song is called uh the break of day okay Doesn't really matter much 
Hawk. So what's that song about, or anything in particular? <laughs> uh, so I, I write a lot of songs based on um, literature, uh, mm-hmm. stories. You know, I think my own personal stories by themselves are not always, they don't always say what I like to say in songs, so I find myself in other people's stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I find a lot of stories in literature, mm-hmm. famous people, but also, uh, especially in a lot of Old Testament Bible stories, and that story is actually about um, Jacob wrestling an angel. Okay. Um, kind of this idea of thinking he knows who he's wrestling in mm-hmm. the middle of the night along this river, but not exactly sure and trying to figure it out. You know, uh, this idea of a character who spent his whole life trying to find that which is against him to help him define himself. And I think I found kind of my truth in there is that mm-hmm. I think we're all kind of looking for the enemy to help define who we are because sometimes we we get so you know we we want to be going forward and, but we keep getting caught in being in in looking at ourselves in who we're against you know and i don't think that's a positive thing but it's it's i have found that to be true about myself and so that's kind of where the song came from and most people that are on social media yeah 
absolutely. You know, it's amazing how you would have thought that uh, social media would have been such a great thing and bring people together, and it's done the exact opposite. Yeah. It's polarized most of us. And, uh, you know, this is just my personal opinion, not the stations. You know, <laughs> the government loves it, you mm -hmm. know, because all of a sudden we're too busy fighting with each other to pay attention to what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, so. I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. All right, so what do we have next? Uh, let's see, I'll do uh, a song called Falling from the Sky here.
live in the studio, Memphis Hawk. So, this uh, is our portion of the program where we do shameless plugging. So, how do we find your music? How do we find anything that has to do with Memphis Hawk? Well, um, I'm on most of the media sites, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, though I don't really use Instagram and Twitter very much at all. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find the music on uh, iTunes, on Bandcamp, on Spotify, on Apple Music. I just Googled my name the other day and found me on some Bel Belarusian website. So <laughs> if, you're from, if you're listening from Belarus today, you can find my music. So I'm international. Actually, I'd be careful with that, though. <laughs> you know, I I, uh, I found I happened to find last week a it was a UK import of my second album, Fear Factory, that was being sold in in Britain for like twenty bucks. I saw that. Yeah, so that was actually your album. Yes, it was for twenty bucks. It's a UK import. I remember back when I was a kid and tripping over myself when I found imported singles and albums from other countries because they would have yeah. the bonus track. So I'm I'm itching to find out who put this out and what bonus track is on there of mine. So, <laughs> so you're validated now. I do. I am validated. Yes, <laughs> I've made my my invasion, uh, my British invasion. You're important. Cool. Very important. Exactly. <laughs> All right, that's awesome. That's when you know you've made it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Gonna hang cool. up the guitar now. Ah, don't do that. Okay. I won't do that. <laughs> All right. So moving along, what do we have now? All right, uh, we're gonna do uh, "Into the Sun." Oh, 
like that one. Thank you. That is nice. Which record is that off of? That's uh, off the first one as well. That's the uh, usually I end up with one one song on each album that I really almost leave acoustic, and that was just like the almost the demo version of it, mm-hmm. just me and the guitar on that uh, particular album, which was, you know, all, all the other songs are kind of full band, but that one I just wanted to keep on its own. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't need anything. It's else. just it's just recorded that very way. I just did it on yeah. the album. It's nice. Thank you. What is that about? Well, the whole first album is really about identity and okay. about finding your identity, losing your identity. Mm-hmm. The first song, Horizon, is, uh, is uh, really uh, based on a character from uh, Leo Tolstoy's uh, War and Peace. His name was Pierre, and he had gone through all these, you know, he joined the Masons, he joined the war effort, he, you know, had money. And he couldn't find <clears throat> meaning in his life until he got locked in prison towards the end of the war, and that's where he found kind of a, his own value and his own meaning. And so... That song, Into the Sun, is kind of about a person who's doesn't know who he is, so he's kind of looking into other people, you know, so, you know, who he's dating, who he's mm-hmm. friends with, to try to figure out who he is. But yeah. at the end of the day, he's got to kind of leave all that behind to figure out who he is. Otherwise, you, you know, he would never really know. So, so that's that's what that one's about. Okay. Um, we have any upcoming shows? Um, I'm spending a lot of time working on the new album, but I do have something coming up. Well, two shows coming up, I guess, later in the spring. Uh, I'm going to be at the Proving Grounds in Royal Oak, uh, May 28th, mm-hmm. and then in Corktown on June 11th. <laughs> so uh, the Corktown Festival, which was I played at um, earlier this month. And it was fantastic. And so I'm looking forward to getting back there again. I think it was a great group of musicians. A lot of people had a, a lot, a really good time. Mm-hmm. Places were packed. Merriment occurred. <laughs> and so That's the best part. So, yeah, so it was, it was a really good time. So I'm looking forward to getting back there in the summertime. So that's June 11th, right? So that'll be June 11th. Yep. Saturday at the Gaelic League, I believe. Yep. Gaelic League on the acoustic stage there, yeah. Nice. Cash only if you're coming to the Gaelic League that night. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Good good hard cash. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, keep going. All right.
All right. You're listening to 11 Mile Sessions Live and watching as well. Got to get used to that, all those years of doing just radio. But anyway, we're going to get to that portion where we talk about origins. You know what that's about. What uh, made you start playing guitar, singing, writing, all that good stuff? I was bit by a radioactive spider. Ah, I thought like so. Like everyone else. <laughs> no, I was, um, actually, I was, uh, this church that I used to janitor at had a band that was getting ready to go on a mission trip, and so they were playing together, and I was happened to be working on those nights they were together. So I figured out how to butt my way into that band. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what until, did you do? Hold a gun to their I head? Don't know. I, don't, I don't remember what I did. But eventually, <laughs> you blacked out, though. But eventually they realized I couldn't really sing, <laughs> and so they kicked me out. But at the time I'd forged a friendship with the bass player in the band, and so he left the band in solidarity. And we learned how to play our instruments together, and we traded music together in, this, in the basement of this church every you know, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning playing you know black sabbath or iron maiden or in excess or whatever you know weird bands that both of us were coming you know this crazy european death metal stuff just to mm -hmm. kind of grow up and figure out what music's about and so that was my first foray into playing but i don't think I, it really took me several years because i didn't really know how to play an instrument at that time either mm -hmm. and so um you know but as i went along i you know, picked up a, a couple of chords and learned to write songs and, you know, kind of went from there. Um, yeah. Eventually, I, you know, I, I was just playing in my house. I wasn't really playing out just for myself. And I, I ran into a musician named Paul Coleman, once an Australian musician. And he said, well, why aren't you playing out? And I said, well, I don't know if I can. He said, just do it. Do it until you can. And so, mm -hmm. so eventually, you know, that happened and I've been in several bands since then and doing my own stuff and writing music and um, so yeah that in a nutshell that's pretty much my origin story and, and the spider yeah of course can't forget the spider no, no now when I saw you the first time you were in an aberrant way mm -hmm. how does that fit into the whole puzzle so um, the guitar player in aberrant way Doug Bowen excellent singer-songwriter mm -hmm. you know on his own um, you should check out Doug Bowen stuff anywhere that music is sold. Um, he he and he was in a band when, with a my really really close friend when we were seventeen and eighteen, and so I would roadie for them basically, <laughs> and so so I would hang out with them and go to shows and kind of take that in and kind of think oh, this is pretty cool. And um, years later we hooked up again because we both worked afternoons, and so we would meet up every Thursday. I, at mm -hmm. noon and play music and he needed a bass player and so I said well I don't play bass but I'd, I'll, I'll learn and so I'd get onto a band with him for a while and then we went our separate ways and I was doing my own thing and he was doing his own thing and after a while he sent me some songs and said hey what do you think about this and uh, you know we realized at that point we'd never written songs together we just wrote we played on each other's stuff and so we thought well, give mm -hmm. it a go so uh, we got together uh, bass player named uh, Rich Rudolph, who played in the Blind Messengers a couple weeks ago with me in uh, Corktown, and mm -hmm. uh, a drummer named uh, Eric Berlinski, and we put together Aberrant Way, and we did that for about a year and a half, and put out an album, and had a lot of fun doing it. Mm. Okay. And then you had to just uh, break out on your own, huh? Yeah, again, well, I think, you know, the, I think when you have a, a band full of, you know, especially me and Doug, who write our own music, and we're both, you know, we both do all that stuff, you know, it's... It, there's no e there, there's no egos really involved when we get together, but we also like doing our own things too. And so it's fun to play in a band with them when we can. And then other times it's fun to go on and do our own thing too. And um, 
yeah, that was uh, it was a great experience uh, working with them, um, just because everyone just enjoyed each other, and you know, <laughs> it was, it was, the, the gigs were a lot of fun. The the, pra the rehearsing was a lot of fun. The songwriting was a lot of fun, and um, yeah, I know I don't know if we're ever going to do anything like a volume two at some point in the future, but it was a a lot of fun doing what we did. Never say never. Never man. say never. All right. All right, what do you got for us now? Oh, let's see here. All right, uh, the song is called Crawl. It's off the uh, second album called Fear Factory. 20 bucks. 20 bucks out of the UK. <laughs> <laughs> the whole album is kind of about a, our anxieties. And this song is right there. It's kind of about being uh, in a relationship, but knowing you're not your best. Because you're constantly worried about if you're doing enough for the other person. That's not really about what a relationship is about. It's about your heart condition while you're i 
Fizzock, folks. All right. So who are your favorites as far as singer-songwriters? As far as singer-songwriters, um, Leonard Cohen, I thought, taught me the importance of words. Um, Jeff Buckley, um, performance. Um, I've always loved, uh, though, you know, guys like Chris Isaac, um, mm -hmm. Sarah McLaughlin. They're another dedicated person to lyrics. Um, and then like the experimentation of, of solo artists like, uh, Bjork, um, you know, the, the sincerity of Jewel, Lyle Lovett is another, I wish I had Lyle Lovett's voice. <laughs> I think he's fantastic. Um, you know, and then bands like U2 and NXS really, I think were the first, my, you know, first musical, you know, uh, inspirations. Mm -hmm. um, and so even to this day, even though I, I write and I perform solo a lot, I still have these bands, you know, these big, you know, three, four, you know, and I think in excess's case, you know, five piece bands and the swaggering front man in my head, um, <laughs> even though I play, you know, solo most of the time. Yeah, definitely uh, very different as far as lyrics go, in excess and you too. Mm-hmm. You know, U2 definitely was always a, well, maybe at the, be at the beginning anyway, like a political band. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of like the Rage Against the Machine of their time. Mm -hmm. Whereas NXS was more a party band, a fun band. You yeah, know. yeah. Um, no, I agree with you. They were a little lighter on the, the lyrics, I guess, when it comes to the, you know, the subject matter. But, you know, that they snuck some stuff in there that I think that, you know, uh, we may not realize, you know... Um, from you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, some of their earlier stuff where they were kind of, uh, oh, I can't, I'm blanking on the, the name of the song right now, but kind of anyway. So yeah, but you're 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 essentially right though. It's just, you know a lot of different because it's you know it's about lyrics. I, I'm, I'm being a singer songwriter. The words are very important to me, but it's also about the swing. Mm -hmm. It's also about the soul. You mm -hmm. can't put that into words, you know. Um, oh yeah. And so you know it's about the movement and the music, and I think even. You know, I try to do that even if I'm just playing on my own mm -hmm. because that's such an important element. Uh, it's the three-dimensional portion of the music that I think is so important. Okay. So you're saying you don't always have to be serious then? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, you probably, though I, I probably am too serious, mm -hmm. I think, when it comes to the the words. I, uh, you know, <laughs> I can't not. Well, it's in your Or at least try. Yeah. yeah, that's all you can do. All right. What do you have next? Uh, let's see here. Um, a couple of songs there. Uh, I would say at least three. All right. Um, all right. So, yeah, this is a song called uh, 
What's in a Heart. It's from the most recent album, The Space Between Two Thoughts.
Memphis Hawk live in the studio. Alrighty, what else can we talk about? Anything you want to talk about? About this water I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I I figured I'd catch you like that. I love doing you, you that. You could have told me a joke. I could have spit. We could have done that on camera, and that would have been really good. I'll have to remember that for next time. Okay, we'll work on that. Cool. You know, we really could work on our bits a little bit better, and we'd be a little smoother. Yeah, you're right. You're we could right. rehearse next time if you want to get together a couple times before. Hmm. Okay. You want to be Martin or Lewis? <laughs> I think I'm better being Lewis. All right, I'll be Martin. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you keep the scotches handy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we have time for a couple more. All right. Um, let's see. Yeah, I can't think of anything else to talk about. You know you everything want. about me. I think that's the problem. Point, that's the problem. Yeah. Even the things that you don't want people to know. Exactly. <laughs> well, we'll edit that out. Don't worry. <laughs> all right. So once again, you know, one more time, like how can we find your music? All that good stuff. Again, you can find me on iTunes. You can find me on Bandcamp where you can uh, either you can pay or you can stream for free. Test it out. See how you like it. I mean, mm -hmm. us musicians are overpaid anyway. We really don't need all oh, that, yeah, all that yeah. extra income. And so you're always whining and crying. Right. About well, that. I've got those Spotify checks rolling in. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find me on Spotify, Amazon Music. And again, in Belarus, you can find me there, too. So if you got Spotify paying you, then you can uh, pay for the Happy Meal after the show, then? Mm, the fries. Okay. We can go in on it together. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, you know, I... Uh, you know, I, I always have mixed feelings on things like Spotify because on one on one hand I do feel like, you know these you know musicians you know, they spend their blood and their sweat and their time on these songs and mm -hmm. they get very little return. But at the same time, we like to put our stuff on there, so <laughs> you know, we, yeah, you can't complain. you know we can't complain too Nobody much. Nobody went like this. And exactly, said, do this. exactly. Because at the base, the problem is musicians want to share their music. It's our, it's our weakness. We want it's like playing tennis alone. You know, it's yeah. like hitting a tennis ball on the other side of the court without an audience to listen to your stuff. And so our weakness, which always gets exploited, is we want people to hear this music. Yeah. And we and it part of the writing songs is fine, but performing them is kind of the lifeblood and gives the it kind mm -hmm. of you know, it's like it's like Frankenstein can make the monster, but the electricity is what gets it going, and I think that's the, the songs are the same way. You can make these songs in your basement, but until you shock them into life, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're only a potential of what they could be. So, unfortunately, we, we're taken advantage of because we, we just like to get our songs out there. And so, but the only bright side is you actually do get that many plays, though. You yeah. have that many people listening to your music. Exactly, and there's people all over the place that can find your stuff, and yeah. you know, I think that's that's still the important part. You know, it's just yeah. it's sharing the music and not knowing who's gonna, you know, it's kind of like a, a tree that's falling. You can cut down a tree, but until it hits somebody in the head, you don't know what kind of effect it has. <laughs> and it, you know, the same thing with music. You put it out there until it lands in somebody. Yeah. You don't really know like who your, you know, how your message is going to reach them if it's going to reach them at all. At all, yeah. Okay. All right. What do you want to play now? Uh, I'm going to play a song called Unconquered Soul. It's kind of about the uh, not just the heroes of the uh, of the civil rights movement in this country and in other places, but also a lot of the unsung people that you don't hear about. 
mm-hmm. that do all the dirty work that sometimes get killed sometimes lose you know their, their lives their dignities uh but they still keep at it longer than i would probably so it's called unconquered soul Memphis Hawk. Well, sir, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you again for having me. I love the new digs. Yeah. The paint is a great color. <laughs> the lighting is nice. We'll have to break it in one of these days. <laughs> uh, thank you again for having me, Scott. My pleasure. All right, so we're going to finish off with one more. What would you like to do for All us? All right, we'll do uh, Love Will Carry Us. 
it's, an, uh, it's kind of a song of, uh, of hope mm-hmm. in the face of, you know, trying times and being unapologetically hopeful because sometimes being hopeful makes you look naive and you're, it's embarrassing. And, but I think this is a song that kind of faces up to that and says that, uh, we're still, you know, there's hope for us as a, as a people, you know, and, uh, kind of face down those you know demons i guess mm-hmm. and try to raise up the better angels so it's called level curious all right once again memphis hawk thanks for listening Solo